Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of If You Know, You Know. Thank you so much for joining us. Ash, NFT fiend, I see you out there. I'm going to give it a couple of seconds or maybe another minute or so just because um, I am going to pin up the tweet about this particular room. If you guys could retweet it for me, please, that would be fantastic. Sometimes, you know, it's a it, it's a full room from like the get go. And sometimes it's just not. But this is going to be a fantastic chat. So I want to make sure that we get as many people in here. Let me um, let me tweet. I mean, let me pin up the space. But Ash, in the meantime, how are you? Hey, Bell, what's good? What's I'm great. Up? I'm great. How are you? Can you hear me? OK. Yes, he's on perfect. Thank you. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I swear. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I have the worst time uh, connecting to spaces with uh, I with uh, AirPods when when I come up to speak. It's it's like a whole thirty second thing that happens. It totally discombobulates me. But I think we're good. We're good. So the paranoia <laughs> is out the window. It, and then the most hilarious thing is that like. That never happens until you're publicly speaking and you Absolutely. are going into a Twitter space. <laughs> never fails. Never fails. Um, especially when I'm like answering the office line as well. It's the same thing happens and people are like, hello, hello, hello. What's going on? Hello. And I'm like, hi. Can you I feel like we're in circa 2004 with the can you hear me now commercials. <laughs> when you were like earlier on in your career, did you ever make the mistake of answering with a different kind of company like I used to work for? I don't remember what it is that I did, but you know, I think I actually I do remember. Thank you very much. I do remember I used to work for Chuck E. Cheese. And then during the day for my other job, it was a serious like business, right? And I remember oh, I funny. used to answer the call, the the phone call for I'm talking about like a financial institute, like AIG type of a financial institution, right? And then I would answer, but like thank you for calling Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Most people will look at people who work at AIG as people who work at Chuck E. Cheese. Like <laughs> they might as well be the same for the work. <laughs> Working at Chuck E. Cheese's boss, though, like you are bringing so much joy to these kids with that um, cardboard pizza. I love it. And it's like full circle, actually, now that I think about it, my very embarrassing way of introducing myself here on the show today. It's come full circle, right? That years later, I started, literally, I started my journey as an adult of like hosting little Chuck E. Cheese parties for kids, right? Of of uh, awesome. singing happy birthday to them and whatnot. And here I am years later hosting Twitter spaces and saying, welcome to another show, guys. Today we're going to have a fantastic time. Now it's like full circle. Now I realize exactly why it is that I feel comfortable coming up here and hosting these things. <laughs> That's so funny. So I got a five-year-old little guy and my wife and I have, have done everything in our power to avoid Chuck E. Cheese at this point. And like, it's not because... The place itself is not cool. It's like the mayhem that goes on, right? And like just dealing with other parents and like the just the, the craziness that goes on in there. And um, so far we've been successful, but no shit. Like the other night, literally like three nights ago, he like put him down to bed. He, he stands up. I don't know what he has, like something serious to say when he stands up. He's like, Dad, what's up, buddy? He's like, you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? And I'm like, oh, no, it's starting. It's starting. And, uh, but I can't get mad at him because when I was, you know, when I was a little guy, it was like such a cool spot, but I don't know how it is these days, but you know, I imagine it's still pretty cool for the little guys. It's freaking expensive. That's how it is right now. That's it what is I freaking thought. expensive. Yeah. The, they, they are no joke with these, like 
you know, dollar a game or dollar fifty a game, all of a sudden you're in there for an hour, you're like seventy bucks down or sixty five bucks down. You're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, exactly. I'm telling you, man. So one day I had to do like a long day at work, right? And my little one was out of school. So I took her and a family member and I was like, you know, an older sister type of thing. And hey, just go hang out at Chuck E. Cheese for a couple of hours, right? L- literally two to three hours, get out of the house, do something different. Here I am, you know, mom trying to balance everything, right? I'm going to be at work, but I got you, baby. I'm taking you to Chuck E. Cheese. You know how much I freaking spent for three hours? $80. Yeah. I kid you not. Yep. Large pizza, two drinks. Shit's ridiculous. Yeah, it facts, man. Life is just... I don't look. I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but like everything is ridiculous. I'm at the point now, and I'm te- you know who I blame. I'm, listen, I have a conspiracy theory, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I got one. I blame Starbucks, and let me tell you why. <laughs> they came in the coffee game and took something that was fucking seventy five cents or a dollar, and was perfectly fine as it was, and all of a sudden they managed to make it six dollars. And everybody else got their same idea, and like, and then it went over to beer. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some really good beer these days, and everybody. You know, I'm 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 okay avoiding Schlitz malt liquor like the rest of my life, but uh, I'm seeing literally like I've seen restaurants because I I live in Philly. We got a great gastro scene, like you know beer scene, the whole nine. But it's gotten so pretentious, and like I've seen it over the years where it, like just started creeping up. And now you go out to a restaurant and like a beer is twelve dollars, and I'm like that was the plan the whole time. They were trying to creep it up to make it like equal with wine. Now, I don't want to sound like a cheap ass. I'm just saying life is getting expensive. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> life is getting expensive and we're the bozos that are freaking paying yeah, for facts. it. What does that say? <laughs> I know. Look what the cat drug in here. This I just lady saw that. I just right. saw that. Yes. Welcome, Eliana. How are you? Hi. Sorry. I'm having a bit of a day. <laughs> Busy, but good. How are you guys? What did I miss? I'm so glad, though, that you, you know, um, squeezed us into your schedule. Honestly, you guys, you two in particular are like forever busy. And I recognize that. Listen, IP in the space of Web3, whether people want to admit it, whether people want to, you know, talk about it or not. But there's a lot of questions surrounding this. And so I thought it would be a really good idea to bring you guys on. I want to kick it off in just a minute, but I'm going to ask everybody in the room to please retweet the tweet that I have pinned up here. I got some like really cool people in the room here. Sometimes the small rooms, the more intimate rooms are the better ones. Thank you so much for joining us. Ritzy, I see you, girl. Thank you, Ikorma. Thank you for being here. NFT Fiend. I'm about to tell y'all a story about NFT Fiend. Um, I'm not sure that NFT Fiend knows that I'm about to tell this story, but I'm about to say it anyway. Ty, thank you so much for being here. And as you know, XYZ News is here also. I'm about to, hopefully this works, if I can um, put it to co-host. And if you are not following us at XYZ News, please do so. All right, let's kick it off because... um, It's going to be a really good conversation. I'm going to throw something at you just a little bit different that I want to start incorporating. And you guys, friends of the show, are going to be the first ones. So I've always thought that if you know, you know, you know, is a place for us to come and talk about things that alpha, right? Shit that you don't get everywhere else. One of the best ways to do that is I want to start getting to know you a little bit more. Ellie, why don't you introduce yourself just a little bit? But I'm going to throw something different at you. And I want to ask you, 
tell me something that we don't already know about you that the average person in web three doesn't already know about you um that's a hard one wait i should uh, introduction sorry ellie short for eliana um uh, practicing ip attorney work for nixon peabody um co-lead of the metaverse and ip team uh which is recent news um and just love the space love chatting about anything IP related, especially with Ash. We go back and forth all the time. Um, things that, something that people don't know about me. Um, I, so you know protein powder? You know, I have a sweet tooth. So when I get like a sweet craving, I tend to eat like the protein powder, like the powder itself. And people think that's like really weird, but it's actually really tasty because um, it's very sweet. So I had to I have like a tub of protein powder in my office and I hide it. <laughs> and then someone like, you know, I try to hide it because I don't want anyone to think I'm like super weird, but I am super weird. But um, yeah, that's something people don't know. That's your version of like when kids do that with the um, Nestle quick um, powder for chocolate milk. Exactly, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Ash, Ash, it's your turn. Tell us a little bit about yourself, just a small intro of who you are, and then what don't we already know about you? Something interesting. Mm. I'm looking at that PFP, or I'm looking at that, at that it's not a PFP, a picture of you. Yeah. Um, so, um, name is Ash Kurden. Uh I, first and foremost, identify as Ellie's water boy. Uh, she really abuses the privilege, tells me what to do every day of our lives. And uh, I can't get away from and out from underneath her wrath. Uh, no, <laughs> um, uh, self-identified IP attorney um, with a, a particular focus at the intersection. I, I call myself a culture attorney, but at the intersection of uh, entertainment and uh, blockchain and law. Um, got my so so the profile picture or the picture up there is it's uh, me coming out of my shell a little bit. I've kind of always kept my personal stuff separated but in in short i was a touring indie musician for years i i am secretly phoning in this lawyer thing until one day i can go back out and um, play pubs and <laughs> just forget this complicated life and just strum a guitar again but no i um i absolutely am in love with uh creating music uh, i play in a band called love cartel um i produce for other art- artists at times i uh, have over the years but it's mostly a weekend warrior thing at this point. But you know, once an artist, always an artist. You can never, you never forget that. So, um, so that's that. And uh, man, I, I got to be honest with you. I got a deep bench on things you guys don't know about me. But we'll keep it lighthearted, and uh, and just say that I'm a I'm a two time former reigning donut eating champion. I was, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hold your applause. <laughs> that is so that's gross. Awesome. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's the honest to God truth, though. It is a dead ass truth. Okay, just I'll give you a little backstory on it, real quick. So when I was young, we used to, you know, we lived in a in a, uh, you could call it like a uh, like Section Eight housing, right? Like sort of like a big apartment complex type thing. And on the edge of it was this park. And every year they would have a, um, I think it's a Pennsylvania Dutch sort of like this weird out of place, total like backcountry uh, thing where they'd bring in like a dead pig and slaughter, like totally out of place for like where I lived. But they had, uh, but it was a place where like when you were running around like a knucklehead little street kid, you just run down there and be like, oh, they're having the fair thing down there this, you know, this time of day. 
And then one year they had, and I had, they had uh, a donut eating contest and I had an arch nemesis. So I was like a really fat kid. And, um, but there was a kid that was fatter than me in the, on the block and he was a big boy. <laughs> and like, and we found out we had a donut eating contest. Everybody encouraged me to go because they knew he was going to go into it and, and try to beat him. And it was so funny that like these two poor fat kids that are like always getting made fun of decided to like fight against each other for the king of the fat kids. And so like I like I entered the contest and slammed down six Boston cream donuts in a minute and a half and made the newspaper beating this other fat kid. So like as like an eight year old kid, there's like an infamous picture of me in this to- total little like local paper of me like shoving down uh, a, a Boston cream donut at half the size of this other bigger kid who I beat. And it's like a glorious moment 35 years later. Thank you. I, thank you. Thank you. Nick. <laughs> now levity, man, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. And then I won the next year, by the way. Thank you. So. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I can tell like how proud you are by just the way that you explain that story. I love it. <laughs> law, law school, small school, lawyer, schmoyer. We're talking donut contests here. That's Twice. the real it alpha. Wasn't just one I, year. It was two in That's a right. row. That's I, I had to solidify that it wasn't a fluke. That's I don't know it. if I'm impressed that this got it. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is like, like four years later, I ended up losing like eighty pounds. So like that, that's How? the funny irony of it you all. So. so many donuts. Uh yeah. Well, you know, you you eventually tire out on donuts and getting and getting called the fat kid. So you're like, all right, I'm gonna do something about this. That is so funny. I love that though. All right, cool. See, I knew that there was something interesting that I wanted to know about you guys that was a little bit different. I see some new friends in the room. Thank you for joining us, Lauda. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Papi. Thanks for joining us, you guys. I pinned up here on the top the tweet about this room. If you guys could retweet that if you haven't already, that would be fantastic. And let's get into it. If you want to be a part of this conversation, come on up here. And also, guys, I have someone really like cool and special in the room. I mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago. I'm going to see if he wants to um, come up here anytime now. So, I have been, you know, in the space for two years now and I get up here and I have these conversations and I love these conversations because it's like it's my language. It's my it's my, you know, my verbiage and you guys understand me. And that's why I feel so passionate about it. Right. Outside of this. And I'm sure that everybody could relate. But outside of Twitter spaces and Web3 world and you go out into the real life and, and people look at you like you're crazy when you start talking about Web3. Right. The person that I tend to go to and talk about all of these wonderful, amazing things is the person who like onboarded me into the scene, onboarded me to know everything that I know and much more. Honestly, I have so much gratitude um, for him for just um, onboarding me, teaching me the ropes, giving me that 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 push, you know, whenever I needed it. So NFT Bean is down there in the audience for like the first time. I hope that he joins us because I'm telling you when a person knows alpha, they know it. When a person like speaks the language that we do, um, he does. So thank you. I know. <laughs> thank you for joining us. And I'm hoping that you that you get your butt up here because we would love to have the conversation. And that goes for everybody. This is an open room. This is an open conversation. Come on up here if you want to be a part of it. All right. With all of that being said, 
let's talk ordinals for a second and let's talk IP for a second. Um, and then, you know, we're going to talk about airdrop and a couple of other things that have been going on in the space. One of the things, Ellie, and I'm sure that you know where I'm going with this because I asked you about it and I just thought it was such an interesting conversation that we could go on for ages about. So ordinals, ordinals, gosh, I got that wrong. Ordinals have come out the hottest thing on the block, right? Bitcoin NFTs, if you will. Not exactly an NFT because they don't represent exactly, you know, um, the way that the things that NFTs are able to offer. Um, but nonetheless, they are called ordinals and they are on the Bitcoin side of it. We can go into all of the details. I'm sure that all of you guys have, you know, dived into it a, a little bit. But an interesting thing about what I see that is happening and that I think we could learn more about is that a lot like the Bitcoin pump punks that came out on the ordinals were straight copy pasta from Ethereum ones. Right. And so immediately my mind goes to how is that possible? Like, can anybody just copy and inscribe that into an ordinal what are the ip rights regarding that and why in the world did we see so many people i don't know about you guys but on my feed i saw so many people starting to copy just this generic statement saying um i am not giving permission to take you know the image of my pfp and inscribe that onto a bitcoin um ordinal is that enough? And I hope that that question made sense. Ellie, we can start with you. Um, so it depends. It, it's not enough. Let me just start with that. Um, and Ash, correct me if I'm wrong, but when it comes to the punks, the license allows you to kind of um, cre do any derivative or any replications of the actual punk itself. I would actually argue that this is more of a replication or a copy of your nft but does that not mean that your ownership of that um, ordinal grants you the same rights as you having that specific punk minted by that specific token and the um, ethereum network um, and that's very clear by the language of the terms of crypto punks terms that they actually actually really like this terms of use because they say which um minted from which blockchain blockchain address so they say that at the very top of the, one of the first few sentences um so basically, you only get rights to, to the actual punk itself, um, but you could do the actual replica of the art. So you could mint it on ordinals, but um, when it comes to other people using someone else's punk and minting that in the ordinals that, um, as an ordinal, that, I one, clear potential inf infringement there, but how they would take it down is beyond me because I don't think we have the technology to actually... Um, take away the inscriptions, at least as of yet. Ash, what do you think? Yeah, um, well said. So I would just back it up just a little bit just to say um, it really depends on who's doing the inscribing. And, and Ellie sort of alluded to this, which is to say that if you are, if you have been granted the right of reproductions, by the original project from which you bought it. So you have a license to do this. You can make these. Ellie and I were talking about this the other day, uh, particularly with a council for a bigger project as well. And we came to the conclusion, we don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? It's just, it's just a sort of, if, if you're, so if all you're doing is if you're an owner of 
you know, Project X, you have commercial rights or personal right of reproduction. Uh, you're, you're granted this license so long as you're comporting with the terms of that license in which you're allowed to make what we call derivative works or we, Ellie and I really look at this more as a, just a simple reproduction. It would be like taking an MP3 off of your hard drive and burning it onto a CD. Those old dusty things that we used to, you know, throw at coffee makers. Uh, but it's really just a change in medium, but effectively it's the exact same song. You're just kind of moving it over. So that's why we think it's an actual reproduction and not a derivative work. A derivative work is a new work that incorporates new sort of art or new whatever based off the old one. But anyway, I digress. Just suffice to say that um, I don't think that that's the issue. That's a problem as long as you're the person uh, inscribing or directing the inscriber because we know that you know, you may not be able to do it yourself given the complications of it. But the problem becomes is when you um, – these people that are out here burning their apes or burning their original because if you look at a lot of these contracts – most of them say, and if the more sophisticated ones, that are ones that are sort of been coming out more recently, say, um, you only have rights in, in so far as that you control this and haven't transferred it. But the minute you transfer it, uh, you lose the license, and therefore um, you no longer have the, the the rights to to that particular piece of artwork. And so that's to me, in my mind, problematic. And then I think personally, and I think Ellie said this as well, the 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 other situation in which somebody who has no ownership interest in that piece of art is just going out and creating a knockoff. I mean, that's just straight up infringement. I mean, just, it's just blatant infringement. You just can't do it. And I don't give a shit what anybody has to argue about. It's transformative. This, It's not, it's just a, it's just a, you're violating the right of reproduction. And so, but Ellie begged a great point there, which is like, now what do we do? Okay. Now we have an infringing piece of, uh, of, of artwork that ostensibly is absolutely immutable unless technology somehow comes along and changes it. So that, that's, that's the real question there, but no, to answer your question, I agree with Ellie. Um, certainly people that are putting, you don't have permission to do this, this, that, and the other, if they do that, that's a prophylactic measure that, um, stabs off any sort of like, Oh, I had an implied license or there was some bullshit theory that they string together that, Oh, I didn't know, or that, that, but I don't think it, it's there's much legal binding nature to it beyond that. So, uh, yeah, that's where I think we're at with this stuff. That's really interesting. Okay, so I want to clarify one thing, right? Because when we talk about burning and moving from one from one um, wallet or one contract to another, when we talk about burning a punk or an ape or whatever, it, it clarify me if I'm clarify me if I'm wrong on this, but. It's the act of transferring it over to a closed wallet or one in which no one has access to, right? And no one can access it and use it. Is that That's what I've always understood. So when you burn it and you send it out into oblivion and no one can actually access it, then you lose all of the rights. That's what you're saying, right? You lose all of the rights to protect it and to deny someone the access to use that image and burn it or use it anywhere else. Did I understand that right? Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, because I've been thinking a lot about this as well. So like what what actually constitutes um, waiving or rescinding your rights in that right now? I'm just thinking about like a real world analogy. If I have legal ownership over something, but I throw it into a river, have I lost ownership in it? Right. Like I no longer have control over it. But we know where it is. It's somewhere in that river right there. The same thing. So like if you're if you're moving it over to a wild in which you have no control. 
did you did you lose ownership over it? Yes. Um, I I think I think yeah, I'd love to hear you. I I think the answer is yes, yes in my opinion. I think but, so. But it's I could I could see people arguing the other way because what is actual loss of control? Uh, is it bestowing those rights and assigning them to someone else, or just simply losing them for yourself? Elle, you got any thoughts? On yeah, that? I, I don't mean, think it sounds like you do. Rights. I don't, and I then think that argument is lost because the rights go with the token, and most terms of use are going to tell you that the token, once it's transferred, the rights transfer with it, so they run with the token. So the moment you lose control, and by control is access to it to the wallet, then you lose control of the token, therefore, and thereby you lose control of the rights that come with that token. So you're you're assigning ownership with control the ability to control because obviously you can move it from one of your wallets to another wallet right so you still control it you've effectively transferred it but you haven't lost control well define but control. is there any merit i don't think it's control Ash, yeah. because if you even if, if you have access to a wallet to be able to transfer it then you still have access to a wallet to transfer it right so you are you have control over that wallet and therefore thereby you have control over the token Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. I actually am agreeing with you. I think what I'm trying to clarify or just understand is the saying you're, you're taking the position that uh, ownership and therefore like the vesting of the rights is tantamount to actually being able to control and exercise those rights. But once you've given it to a wallet, which you no longer have control, you've, you've lost the rights. And, and I would agree with that. But I think the one, the one thing I'm willing to be pushed back on by anybody who wanted to argue it is like, well, if I've, if I threw my – again, like I'm just trying to think of real-world property. If I threw Object X in a river, I mean I have legal title over it, but this, if someone – but because I can never find it again, have I lost – like if, if, if in 30 years from now it gets found, do I still have legal ownership over it by somebody else? I, I get that the hypo is not a one-for-one. One. I appreciate it. I'm just trying to go through the machinations in my head. Um, but yeah, Bell, I think – sorry to dominate here, but I, I would agree. I mean I agree with Ellie at the end of the day. I, I, we both have come to the conclusion that – Per the like license, if you for most of the licenses, if you uh, burn it and and they'll even specify like the punks license, like Ellie said, it says it's on this chain at this address, derivative of this. So if you burn that and send it and lose control and then turn around and say, "Why well, the ordinal version?" They're like, "We don't give a shit. It's not. It doesn't comport with the contract, and you've lost your rights in it." So it is curious. So Web three is full of anonymous aspect of it, right? The fact that you don't have to dox your wallet or you don't have to even dox yourself. What happens in the case that um, a, a person has their doxed wallet? You know, a lot of these influencers, a lot of a lot of the people who move the market have a doxed wallet or at least one in which they have claimed and they they show. But then they also have undoxed wallets in which they move and, you know, nobody knows that it's them. Is there an argument like is there any crossover or does that become problematic the fact that if i wanted to like let's say that you know i i move an ape from my docs wallet to one that is undocs is that problematic when perhaps someone else comes and says oh hey i'm gonna use this one and and you know inscribe an ordinal on that and because it's anonymous i I'm not going to go out and say, oh, that's mine. Or is it just as simple as moving it back to another wallet? I mean, have has that ever, yeah, is it problematic or not? I'll show you. Oh, you want to say <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, number one, I would say in the hypo, theoretically, you could just trace the wallets, right? You could follow it from one to the next. So is it 
is it truly doxed to non-doxed? But okay, fair enough. Like if we just move past that, um, it doesn't give anybody else, nobody else has the right unless they have acquired legal ownership to inscribe these images. So even if I moved it and I was, it, and, it, and it all of a sudden in the pub, publicly facing, it became in this burner wallet or whatever. It doesn't mean anyone else has acquired the right. It just means that I may have lost my right to do it, you know, and, but I get that in this scenario, it's a doxed situation, but to the outside world looking in, if they felt like, Oh, this has been burned or something, but in fact, it's doxed. So no, I, 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 it's problematic insofar as like who would actually enforce it and like how do you enforce that? And that's a whole nother complicated conversation about who can actually enforce the copyrights here. And that, and we can go down that rabbit hole, but trust me, it's it's murky. But just to say that, to, to answer your question, I, I still think anybody who subsequently were to try to inscribe that based on some um, incorrect notion that it's in the public domain or it's been burned or something like that, that they they would still be in violation uh, like they have no right to do that and therefore they're committing copyright infringement for someone for someone else uh, it, who who is that claim and i don't know you know, we we'd have to go figure that out but um but yeah it, it, the docs non-docs part of it i don't i don't think changes changes the analysis okay cool yeah no that's a very good response something that truly i hadn't even thought about until you said that and i was like oh okay yeah that makes perfect sense okay um i want to change it up a little bit i want to ask you about pudgy penguins and i would love to know you guys opinion on that so pudgy penguins just uh last week the days moved so fast on here but uh, two days ago actually they announced that they have a partnership with retail monster and retail monster is a big i mean a huge brand in and of itself right they represent brands like uh, Disney, DreamWorks, Hasbro, etc. So, I mean, if anybody can get toys up on a shelf and plushies up on a shelf, it seems like Retail Monster probably can. This is something that Pudgy Penguin, since Luca Next took over, has been, you know, on on the front line. Something that so Pudgy 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 Penguins is probably one of the best comeback stories of the NFT space of having gone from you know, a hundred to almost forgotten to taken over by Luca to an everybody's face now and like um, doing a fantastic job of it. And in the last couple of weeks, we started to see Luca post about him, like pictures of him going to these licensing conferences and IP conferences and making and, and starting the conversation of guys, this is exactly what we should be doing. Why am I the only one from Web3? Why am I the only one from NFTs coming to these things? You know, let's start looking at what other IP capabilities we have on this and licensing capabilities and where else we could start going with 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 what we already have, the technology that we already have. Um, it, and that was just a couple of weeks ago. And today, fast forward, he's done it again, right? He did it again and he was able to pin this partnership, which is outstanding but i wonder if the ip technology and for pudgy penguins or for any other brand does it start there or does it end there and i'm going to throw one more thing at you yesterday utopia avatars came out and i was doing um like a deep dive of going through their website and and trying to figure out why the hell would i spend 0.2 eth on this um you know 
And why do I want it? I mean, I know that there's a lot of influencers backing it up. Eva Longoria is one of them. FaZe Banks is one of them. They got people on, on their on their side, on their, um, you know, on their influencer side of it. Um, but when you do a deep dive of their website, one of the things that they have listed out as utilities is IP rights. Thoughts on that? Ellie, we can start with you. So the question again, can you shorten that for me? <laughs> what exactly? <laughs> so I know I kind of gave a, com- a like a huge layup on that. <laughs> so I want to know, do you think that it starts with IP rights as utilities for like, an you know, for for where we take this NFT venture, where we take blockchain technology? Does it start or does it end with IP rights? I have a very different opinion. I think that NFT projects are kind of like you start your own business and you start branding that business. So the content itself, which is what people usually make a fuss about, are not really what you're building upon. Like I think that the real bricks that you're using to build your house is the the branding, which is the trademarks and the association that consumers have to that specific brand and trademark. So really when you think about the biggest and largest companies and even just in tech most of them are pretty well branded so whether that's apple with like their color choices with how people associate just your brain functions in a way that you associate specific brands with specific services or or goods or or items so i think the nft products are no different they are subject to the same um, rules that happen in the real world and i think that most projects should kind of hone in on that specific aspect of their business rather than the content itself. I, I get it. Like I get that you want your users to use the actual content that you you have in the NFTs. But for the most part, how many people are actually using it for commercial purposes or benefiting from it in a in a financial way that they you could actually argue like this is worth an investment for me, you know, negating the fact that this is not, you know, an, an security but just for you to invest in a piece of art is an investment itself like you're kind of um trying to get some benefit from it and whether that's for your pure artistic appreciation or that's commercializing it most people are not utilizing it in the commercial way so to me nft projects are like its own business and branding and trademarks um and that's what should be kind of the focus ash i'd love to hear what you think yeah, yeah, for sure. So a couple, a couple of thoughts here. Um, number one, Lucas Smart shit. I think he's genius for doing what he's doing. He's thinking outside the box. And I think this is a particularly timely conversation and, and, and machinations in light of this, in this, this royalties conversation that we're having here right now. Because we have to... And look, I have, I have thoughts on that as well. That's a whole other thing, but we, we could get into it. But the short of it is it's becoming abundantly clear that on ch- or secondary royalties and, 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 and royalties in the first instance, I guess, if you will, um, are under attack. And they may not be sustainable. So you really do got to go to alternative forms of financing for the project to keep it funded to be able to propagate and, and, and move this over. Um, secondly... Uh, Ironically enough, I, I, I was interviewing with uh, one of the big three uh, creative agencies in, in, in the United States here uh, who have their eyes completely set 
on uh, the metaverse, uh, metaverse NFT influencers and NFT projects, right? And so, like, it's no secret. Like, like Jenkins was signed to one of them, and um, I think, uh, uh, well, of course, uh, when before they went over to Yuga, when they were back with uh, when when uh, when MeBits and Punks and everybody were were back with the prior owner, they signed. Like, in other words, uh, these these licensing opportunities, these agencies are looking at this as well, and it's a smart move on behalf of the projects, I think, to, to look to 2.0 licensing. And I know that when I look at a project, when I look at investing, um, I am absolutely sort of looking at 2.0 appeal and really um, how they can, or 2.5 appeal maybe, and, and what their demo is. And the thing about like Pudgies and Cool Cats and a couple of these ones, like they can appeal to the 13 to, you know, 18 consumer segment which is like big money right and it's not always about that but the point is it's just in terms of like keeping the project funded so that they can continue to expand the ecosystem the part that i have a problem with the disconnect for me yet is is i go okay how as a holder does that actually benefit me though and it goes back to i think what ellie said which is to say that i would rather have ip rights than not have them uh or commercial rights is is really probably a better way to say it um, and the reason for that is, is because, you know, it is kind of, it is, it is a little bit of, it, it, it throws cold water on a little bit to know that Yuga is a, probably a multi-billion dollar company at this, at this point. And of course, if you're, if you're an ape holder or any of these, you're sitting pretty, but it's not as though you have direct stock in there, right? So it's a trickle down effect to your ape. But conversely, what I think is really dope is that for the enterprising few that hold these projects, an ascension in goodwill outside of our very closed bubble ecosystem in NFTs as it is now and, mo and moving into 2.0 world or 2.5 or just expanding out into IRL. Um, if you have the enterprising nature that you can take your PFP and leverage the goodwill of the project to create dividends like Jenkins or something like that. So I think that that part of it is dope. So I don't think – I do not think – I'm with Ellie. I don't think like IP rights are the end-all be-all because it's just a tool and it's an allowance and it's what you do with it that really matters. But in terms of sort of the IRL licensing, I'm, I'm here for it all day long. And I think those projects are going to be the ones that sort of stick around because or, – or have a better chance of sticking around because they have a revenue source that is not completely reliant on volume trading. And especially at a time when that is under attack and we're trying to figure that all out. And of course, bringing it all the way back to ordinals, they don't even have royalties, right? So uh, that's that's what I think on that subject. Um, yeah, I love that take. Sorry, Ellie, were you going to say no, that? Just, uh, no, I agree. I, I was just going to add, I, I think that for the mass appeal, I think, yeah, that's important. But I mean, we have baby dinos. We had so many projects that we're in discussion with Netflix and we're going to talk to Nickelodeon and where did they go? So um, that was just my only input. But wait, Elle, can I ask, and I'm not even being a smart ass. Do it. What, what is the, no, 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 because I want to understand. I understand. Is it, you're saying that it's not viable because those particular projects didn't achieve it or, or it, you have, you can only put so much weight in it or, or what is it? Because when I see, like I said, I always, let me just say this one part. I always go back to this experience I had when I was sitting in my studio and my son rolled up in it with my wife and I just happened to be looking at doodles on the screen 
And like my kid like stopped, dropped and rolled on it and was like, yo, what is that? Like, what are those colors? Like, what are those things you're looking at? And I immediately in that moment was like, yo, doodles is where it's at. Now I know doodles is kind of under, you know, it's a big uh, little thing going on right now. But what is absolutely undeniable there is that they have a distinct color palette. And I think their ability to create a a business completely outside of the the PFP project, um, but related adjacent is, 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 is undeniable, you know, whether it's putt puck golf or it's licensing opportunities or creating um, cartoons or comic or whatever, because all I know is that when my kid saw it, he went ham. So, um, so L, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I was just curious. What, no, I mean, you know, but you as a holder, what you're thinking on that. A doodle and this is like a silver entity because they have different revenue models. Like what do you get from it? Just to say that you have one. Yeah, exactly. That's my, I think that's a hundred percent what I was saying, which is saying I'm still struggling with the, where does it trickle down? All, all I know is, the licensing, the 2.5, the 2.0, that can keep a project funded. Now, how that translates into benefit for the holders is a, is a different, like that's a, I, I agree that that's a, it's a bit of a question mark. At the you moment. know, another thing that I, I just thought of, Ash. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to ask him something else, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask that in just a second, but I was going to say one of the, um, like we can go down this rabbit hole so much doodles right ash when you talk about this isn't the first time that i hear somebody say that actually that a kid or like a girlfriend or a wife or just someone in your life saw um you know over your shoulder the doodles images and was like this is it this is the one that i've heard it also about cool cats or any of the cutesy ones right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then the person is immediately like all right here we go if it's appealing to a normie if it's appealing to this particular type of person then this is going to be it and so i have to ask myself i don't want to go there but i'm going to kind of just throw it out there just to acknowledge it is it that they weren't able to take it as far as we thought that they were going to take it because, you know, the opportunities were gone. The landscape of being able to latch onto this in, in um, mainstream world were gone. Or was it just lack of execution and lack of actually starting it, you know, and, and, and doing more with it? I mean, Doodles is known today for good reason as being, you know, uh, mismanaged is a strong word, but definitely not taking advantage of the community and of the opportunities and doing it, you know, web three of if that is a word. It is a word as of now that I just created. So I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, yeah, I'll jump in, L, and then feel, feel free to tap in. Um, I, I love your point. It's absolutely well taken, which is to say that you can stare so hard at the tree of traditional success that you sort of miss the web three forest behind you and, and, and you kind of leave behind or um, uh, you do, you do so at the detriment of the organicism that, that creates viable web three projects. And so I agree. I am the first person that when something goes mainstream or commercial, I like, I, it's like an aversion for me. I'm like, I don't want it. Like, I don't, like I've rarely listened to top 40 or like, I just, I'm like in the nooks and crannies and the, you know, the, the gritty spots, but you know, not to reduce it down to an economics conversation, because I do think that we lose some of the ethos. And I think that's what a lot of projects are struggling with, right? They get these, they, they become ubiquitous. They, they attract this crazy investment. And now all of a sudden they're under an immense amount of pressure to produce from the VCs or whatever, when 
the organicism that got them there and their, their, their recipe for success has been altered and changed to a detriment. But um, it's a great question on why they, uh, why they have not succeeded at the level of maybe some of the expectations. I don't actually show for doodles. I just remember that particular day. I, my personal opinion is I don't think you've heard the last of them. I think, I think they're going to bounce back. I think the IP is just so strong that, Ultimately, somebody's going to steward that company. But um, if 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 your point is sort of uh, the web, was it the web threeification? Like, is that what we call? It? Is that was that the word? Uh, which is a good one. Uh, if if that, I'm coining some, it. I'm coining yeah, it. Ellie, yeah, can you yeah. write up the? Can you draft up other words? That's mine. That's my minute, baby. <laughs> Put it on an ordinal, so at least we know to live. Inscribe it. Inscribe yeah, it. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think uh, you, there is always a tension there about number one, like striking when the iron hot, and 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 oh, by the way, like we do, we are like self-inflicting and and cannibalistic in this in this industry as well. Like somebody will be the talk of the town one week, and then they'll get their fucking head taken off the next week for something, or they'll just fall out of favor or whatever. We the the expectations in this space are so. Uh, are so ill-proportioned I think at times in terms of like if it doesn't moon in two weeks or moon a week or like and things just move so fast that I don't know that any of these projects it's like I don't know if it's burnout I don't know if it's you know I, I just don't have the answer I, I was thinking to myself today I was like dude man I I can't imagine being a project founder at this point like just the pressure or like the the flash in the panism of it all that we move at this space so you know there's something to be said for sort of ignoring the temporary short-term FUD and like just continuing to build long-term and delivering value. Even if it takes a while, you might wash out the weak hands or the flippers who I think are a scourge on this industry, to be honest with you. That's my own opinion, but I don't know. El, I mean, please feel free to jump in. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of rambling, but. Uh... So Ellie, when you jump in, please ignore the fact and please don't share the um, text message that I send you about how badly I want to flip and trade certain things. Just completely ignore that because, you know, before um, Ash <laughs> rolls with that, I want to hear your response. And then I want to hear from NFT Bean. Wait, can I, can I, can I, I'm so sorry. Can I just like, qualify that comment? Oh, I just qualify nope, that comment. Sorry, you're done. You no, already no, on, said right. it. You yes, already said it, I Ash. <laughs> I do not, I do not detract. I do not rescind that comment, but I just want to give context to that comment. I heard the other day that in terms of the marketplace discussions, the people were like, well, this is what the market wants. This is what flippers want. Like they, they, they don't want to pay royalty. They want to pay royalty. And I have heard that argument in, in the music industry completely lead to artists getting fucked. And I am not sympathetic to it all. I don't. And I think my only point was, is like, if we are driving business models on the fact that speculators don't want to pay a tax um, to artists or creators, then I have a real problem with that. It's not flipping in general. I flip, we all flip. I, I do that too. I just, and then there's a conversation about modest royalties versus like crazy ass royalties. So anyway, that's all. It was just the whole idea of like, if Blur and OpenSea are being driven purely on the vertical of speculation and not considering the ecosystem as a whole, that's where I have a problem with flipping. That's all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if it makes it any, I, No, no, I don't know if it makes it any better. I'm just, I'm just, you know, just wanted to give that context. No, I appreciate that. And I, I happen to agree with you. You know, I think that we don't move forward until we're all on the same page. And I think that, 
um, the creator economy is, is truly all about um, supporting and wanting a lot more. And if we are, if if we're eliminating um, the support, and if we're eliminating, you know, that poss- that magic, if you will, of um, of, of royalties and creator uh, fees, et cetera, et cetera, then I mean, shit, you know, um, that's a, that's a tough, harsh reality. Um, so I'm hundred percent with you. I mean, it, it's, it truly, it's the reason why we do this, right? It's the reason why we, why we uplift other people. It's the reason why we host these Twitter spaces, the reason why we evangelize web three and go out there and share the message. Um, but it's also, you know, the reason why, um, I take advantage and I flip, uh, NFTs whenever I get the chance. <laughs> I live in both worlds because I can, and it's fantastic. Ellie, add something to that if you want, and then uh, I'm going to throw it over to NFT feed. You can throw it to NFT team. I was just going to add that, Ash, something that came to mind is like, we haven't really seen any conflict of interest, but like, let's say Doodles launches its own brand, like its own merchandise for like clothing, and then people want to monetize under IP ownership of their own Doodles, and they launch another merchandise company with the same brand like we haven't really seen any kind of conflict of interest but i think we're going to see conflict of interest if we keep pushing this like idea of like the ip is the end all be all that was my only comment you know it's funny on that note there was a project i was looking at a few weeks ago and l i I don't know if you remember but i actually sent it to you they specifically carved out a media niche for their and they're like you can have all the commercial rights you want oh yo by the way uh you can't make any shows comic books or like whatever because it would and it was clear for me from the contract i was like oh they're they're clearly eyeing this up so it is it is interesting how you're right like what if somebody wanted to put out a plush toy from one of these things like what would happen good call those plush toys though i mean they are popping for certain people i mean they're literally um you know it's something that represents i don't know it's it's the is it the Gary V effect? Is it the V friends effect of, of now in the NFT space that if you see a plush, if you see a toy, if you see an IRL representation of it, um, then it becomes that much more valuable. Like it's, it's, um, you know, immediately we start to think, Oh wow, they're doing something with it. Right. I mean, what was that? Um, comic book one oh i forget the name Comique? of it but there was a one Comique. wasn't it the one with the uh i forgot didn't we get like whitelist for that or something yeah i think so go ahead nft fiend uh, punk's comic right that was one too yes pump comics was was one too and then there was there was the cat ones and then there was the starship one ellie i forgot the nft portal was all over it um, but I remember getting that comic and being like, oh, shit, we're going somewhere. This is going to be hot. And of course, it went to zero. That's, you know, for another story. What do you think, NFT Fiend, about any of this? A lot of thoughts. I think first off and foremost, um, thanks for having me on. And I've really been enjoying seeing your meteoric rise and everything you've been involved in. You're so connected to the community and all the projects. It's really cool um, because it's difficult to keep up with everything. Um You know, you really have to have like a full-time job focused on Web3 and staying in Discord in order to get all the little nitty-gritty pieces, right, to put it together to make the connections. 
So very grateful to have individuals such as yourself who are sharing the alpha, helping to connect other people, giving us access to more information so we can make really good decisions about what to do next. Because things are always changing. And I just think that the speed of the information, the faster that we can get it, then the faster we can make really good decisions. So first off, uh, thanks to you uh, for you know being a good ambassador for Web3. Somebody's yeah. got to do it, right? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's it's a hard job, but I'm happy to do so. You're spot on. I think that, you know, and that's part of the difficulty. We've had these conversations so many times. Part of the difficulty of Web3 is is like being being on top of everything. It's impossible to be on top of everything. And, you know, that is why I learned so much from discourse or hopping onto Twitter spaces, et cetera, because there's always something that you don't know about. Um, and and it's the people who are, um, you know, able to at least make a dent on that of, of being at least a little bit uh, one step or two steps ahead. Um, I don't know. Those are the ones that you typically want to hear from or that are getting shit done in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think that the infrastructure for discovery really isn't there yet as well within the whole Web3 space. I mean, we only have like a few platforms that we're using right now, arguably two to three that we're using in order to get out the word. So I think in the future, there's going to be many more types of platforms and types of products that are out there to where now we can cast a wider net. And just being able to get the message out about all of these projects, new projects, older projects, you know, the provenance there with, you know, how Web3 even got started. But I think that's what's needed. And that idea of access to more people, I think that's probably the answer to the question of why when we see a plush toy and we think, oh, my gosh, OK, they're doing something. I think it's we, we kind of inherently maybe subconsciously think that that's going to lead to greater exposure for the project or for the founder and that that's going to lead to more individuals understanding about it and that there's limited supply. So, of course, that's going to perhaps induce some type of FOMO. But I, I think that's a really good mechanism there and it's really strong. But we need more founders who are like Luca that you talked about, who are actually going out and being proactive about, you know, I'm not just going to sit on my hands and just wait to see what happens with the market and just, uh, I guess that's the main thing, just sitting on your hands and just waiting to see what happens and hoping that a big buyer comes in and pushes the price up or maybe there's some type of gamification and then there's going to be a nice little pop on the front end and maybe not on the back end. You know, he's going out and he's thinking, okay, well, how can I increase the value for holders? What can I do to kind of push that? And I think that's really cool. And I think that that's the thing that's really needed even more so within the space in order to get us front and center in front of more people that we've got to think outside of the box. We've got to think creative. And sometimes we might even have to think about some of these Web2 type of mechanics that are available and out there that have been traditionally tried and it's what a lot of other companies are using in order to generate wealth and value. So, you know, we've got to branch out and we've got to continue to just push and look for more creative ideas. So I'm all for that. 
Very well said. I want to that that's a really good segue into the, another topic that I wanted to talk about, which is proof of conference. And I would love to hear everybody's opinion. So proof of conference is from pro, the proof ecosystem and Moonbird ecosystem. Right. And if you've been following this, then, you know, that when Kevin Rose, which is the founder of Moonbirds, came into the space, he came into the space under the premise that I have been a fantastic businessman. I have had a, a very successful trajectory, a very successful career, you know, for so many years. And part of that, go out and check it for yourself. Part of that are the amazing conferences that I have been able to do, right? That I have been able to bring and the tremendous alpha that I bring to the stage and the people that I get to conglomerate at all of these conferences. That's what Web3 needs as a place for networking, as a place for um, building products together and building a community made out of, you know, uh, um, stepping it up into what we could do as, as business people, etc. So when Kevin Rose came in, that was that was part of the pitch. Moonbirds ended up minting at an extraordinarily high price. And if you recall, you know, it was eight ETH and then it ran all the way up to like 20 ETH, 30 ETH, etc. And then one of the um, first things that they did was that if you staked your Moonbird, you started to uh, get vested and receive these rewards. One of the very first rewards, if you'll recall, was a Moonbird fanny. And then it was socks and then it was a, a <laughs> fanny pack, yeah, fanny packs and a couple of other things. But they have made a lot of missteps throughout this time. But one of the things that everybody, Moonbird holder or not, one of the things that like people would push back on is, all right, yeah, they've made a lot of missteps. We haven't received everything that we thought that we were going to receive. But just hold on. Just hold on to your horses because here comes this conference that's coming up and this is the place to be. They, you know, um, they came out, they announced it, they, they, um, gave the lineup of all of the speakers that were going to be there. They pumped it up. They sold the tickets. People booked their flights. People booked their tickets. People had plans. Many conferences were built around it, et cetera, et cetera. And then they come out last minute and then they say, you know what? The market isn't all that hot. Not enough people purchased the tickets. We're going to explore some other things. In the meantime, the conference is canceled. The so-called conference that was going to bring everybody together and was going to be a must-be-at. Ellie, Ash, NFT Fiend, I want to know what you guys think. Me personally, I think it's laughable. <laughs> I think that it's laughable. I think that we should have seen the red flags from day one. I think that we actually did see the red flags from day one. And I remember so many people talking about it. But it's one of those things that, you know, the NFT space has very short term memory and you just forget and you just forget and you just forget and you want to support and you want to see something different. And conferences were popping. So let's give it a try. Um, and yet here we are, you know, a year later, and so many people are just like fighting over each other to sell at a loss. It's almost like um, one step forward, three steps backwards. Ash, I want to start with you. What do you think? Well, my 
my initial inclination is, uh, you know, heavy as the head that wears the crown type thing. Um, you know, and this is the problem with these messiahs, these sort of personality driven projects, whether it's CZ Binance, Charles Hodgkins, all the way over to Kevin Rose or Frank or any of these other ones where they are, we, we, we elevate these people and it could be Luca too. Right. But it, he happens to be doing well right now, but he could be the next one. And while some of that, that charisma is well played or, or needed and, and, and the, the emphasis on it, well placed a la Gary V. I mean, imagine what would happen to Vayner media if Gary like kicked it or turned out, you know, I don't know, something happened with it. And so, you know, it, it, this is why, and I think I, I don't want to speak for Ellie, but I, I know in our discussions, like we have been sort of, hard pivoting our advice to promise nothing, deliver everything more like this idea that, um, you know, the, these guys promise the moon or come out in, in a cult of personality, like sort of, and I'm not shitting on Kevin or anything. I mean, I'm sure he's a smart guy. I, you know, I don't know the man, but, and he, and it, for a minute there, he did build something, you know, pretty laudable, but, um, in terms of the actual conference, you know, look, I think he's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Number one, we have way, way too many conferences in this in this sort of ecosystem for the number of people in it. We, you know, we we're all competing and fighting. You know, Denver, NFTLA, NFT, you know, Paris, NFT, New York, you know, list goes on and on and on, right? But that outside of that, um, you know, it it's tough because like, what what would the community have been more pissed off about if they actually went forward with it? having spent all that money on flights and tickets and all that shit. And it turned out it was a completely bunk existence or just pulled the plug early and then offered all of these refunds and, uh, you know, trying to make, make right and do and pivot and all them. So I, I, I do have some sympathy in that regard, but your bigger point is well taken in terms of like the, Oh, our dear leader type thing and just trust us. And, you know, we, you know, we can't deliver. So I, I, I have much more of an affection for, project founders that sort of keep a low profile and just keep delivering than the ones that are sort of that hype that are hyped up and so forth. And I don't know if you guys happen to see this. There was a small event recently where, Oh, one say one of the influencer bought an $8 million advertisement to push America over to his uh, Twitter profile. And I, I, I might have a problem with that particular type of machination in this space. So <laughs> I got thoughts on that one too. <laughs> Oh, man, do I have thoughts on onboarding the masses at Super Bowl. And like, did you know that there were only about 3000 of those NFTs that were actually available because the rest had already been gifted or, or like minted via other communities? Um, and so by the time that it came out in the Super Bowl and people were actually using that URL URL to mint it and download MetaMask, et cetera, et cetera, right? By the time that they had that, there were only about 3,000 in supply. And so a lot of people, the vast majority of people obviously weren't able to obtain it to, to mint it. And um, and they were, you know, they were taken to the Twitter um, account. Yeah, I got thoughts on that. That was um, That was something else. Can we go to? It's funny. I don't want to detract. Actually, no. I'll I'll, I'll save that story for another time. Uh, but by all means, keep going. <laughs> yeah, that that's like a story that you could dive into in and of itself. Uh, it was pretty funny. Ellie, what do you think? I think he should have done better engagement forming. Had a newsletter sign up when instead of his Twitter account because you can't really do anything. So 
at least form like actual users so that he can monetize the information he got from it. But I don't think he even did that. So that that's my thoughts on it. And the proof of conference thing? Proof of conference? I don't know. I'm kind of on Ash's kind of wavelength. I, I think it's, you know, one, you could throw a really crappy conference or not throw it at all. And I don't know what, you know, user, I mean, what the holders wanted, but maybe do something instead of the conference to kind of, you know, say some, show some gratitude to the holders that, you know, we're intending to go or do something in exchange, but not just like take it away without any incentive. I think if I'm thinking like Olivia Pope, I would have done something to strike holders because really consumerism is just that. So like throw something shiny at them that they can get distracted, then cancel the conference would have been my strategy. But that's just me thinking from my business hat. There was actually a lot of talk that's about that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, NFT. No, I was just saying that's the obvious move, right? So uh, I used to, you know, back in the day before I retired a couple of years ago in the business field. And, you know, if I had for one of my customers some type of negative information that I knew they wouldn't be happy about, you know, I would spend like days just trying to think of the, but here's what we're going to do instead, though. So, you know, like that plus one. You know, take something away, but I'm going to give you this in return. I think that, you know, and I don't know too much about like the verbiage and the communication on like what the second half of that looks like if there is a second half. But I would say that the thing that I'm mostly reading about on Twitter as a result of like the whole debacle is that people are losing more confidence in the Web3 space. They're saying things such as, well, if he can't deliver, then who can? And I think that that just really hurts us all, you know, when there's that somewhat of a consensus out there. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Ash, I see your hand up. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, what NFT Fiend just sort of sparked in my mind, and it's a rhetorical question, but one I've been wrestling with, but like, what is delivering anymore? Like, you know, what does that even, what does that even look like these days? And I've really been having like, you know, winding conversations with myself about, okay, if we just take away number go up, like what is it that you really would enjoy about? Because we spend money on shit every day in life that we don't, there's no return on investment other than like enjoyment and experiential. And so like when we come to utility you know, and it's a loaded word. It's like, I'm like, it's like one of those like community and utility, like there's, we just, we, we beat them to death, but I've been thinking about like, what, what would I be satisfied with? Because it is true. Like I look, I'm, I'm, I'm shitting on, you know, flippers, but I'm, I'm one too. Like we all do it. Right. Like, um, and so, but outside of that, like, what would I hold and be, and be like that? And, and I don't have a great answer, but I think we sort of got to like go deeper down that as an industry as a whole, in terms of like the value add or the, you know, the, the, the ROR, not the ROI, like sort of the, the return on relationship and not the return on investment. And that's not, I, I heard that from somebody else today. So credit to them was a pretty cool thing. But, um, you know, I, I think about it, like one example is I saw that like links Dow is just about to purchase their first, uh, a golf course in Scotland. And I was like, yo, that's pretty cool, right? Like that's that's like delivering. And to the extent that if you're a holder, you can reserve tea times there. Like you're not really 
you don't really care per se about what whether that cost of that NFT is going up and down and what the floor price of it is, unless you're trying to exit or entry. But like essentially, you're looking for that access. And and like for me, like I'm a huge snowboarder, and I think about it like, man, if somebody came up with like a snowboarding DAO or like a, a snowboarding NFT that was essentially what we call like an epic or an icon patch in the in, in the snowboarding world. But it gave me like free access to these particular mounds or discounted access. I'm like, that would be that would be cool. Like and what also would be cool is if I don't know, I need I wanted to sell it or I no longer could snowboard or whatever and I wanted to transfer it and got the value out of it. So uh, you know, I I think it's just in my mind it begs a bigger question about, you know, sort of what is delivering anymore, you know, what does that actually look like? I don't have I'll tell you what. Just I, think, I mean I'll I'll give you my perspective. I think there's different types of consumers. We all don't buy the same type of clothing. And I see the same way that you see NFTs is the same way. Your appeal or in your taste in music is going to be very different from mine. So the same way I see projects and I see them from the business lens. And, you know, you and I kind of go back to back to this because I know you tend to see things from the artist perspective. And I tend to see things from the bigger kind of pictures. Like, how do you monetize? How do you make this grow? How do you make this a business that could run on its own? And for me, it's providing value. It's kind of catering to those specific tastes. So um, the way I see it, is that you have an NFT project and it depends on your needs and your priorities. It really goes back to like the psychology behind human consumption. And to me, um, if I'm talking like Eliana, Ellie, like what would she buy? She would buy for access. So she would buy for access to communities where she could have some reciprocal kind of like a community and networking and like, you know, like-minded people. Um, but then you may look at someone else who like is an artist and they may want resources. So they want resources on how to reach their community or how to market their project, their, their artwork. Um, and there may be some other people who actually care about like comic books and they want to be able to go to like, uh, you know, Comic-Con with the, uh, with the token and being able to get access to like um, artists that or like writers that have, you know, have written comic books. So like, I think it really goes back to um, consumerism and I know that people are gonna hate me for saying that but it really it's the psychology behind human consumption and I think that that's we go, what we go back to and these are really small businesses that we're trying to kind of like push forward and in order for them to move forward they have to understand like who is my audience what am I giving it what, what am I giving to them in order for them to stay engaged with me as a brand and as a business because uh, you know we we move so much in the space as to like you know flooding and like it's, it's very emotional and not so much uh, factual so to me the way I see it is like find your audience and if you're part of a, of a group of, of consumers and you have an NFT then you what am I getting from it that benefits my priorities and if that's not it then you're clearly there I mean we all want money so like that's another part of consumers and we're all there because price go up right but take that away um you know what what do I stay here for or might as well just sell right yeah, those are really good examples. I love all of that. Um, the way in which I think about it is like two words and four departments. Two words are progressive utility. And the four departments are within identity, within trust, within access or opportunities. And if you're able to do that, then of course you've got everybody's attention. And it's the same thing that we expect from Apple, right? All their investors. Every single year, what you coming out with next? What's next? What's next? And then eventually, you know, we get tired of the, all right, we're moving from 2.2 to 2.3 type of iterations and longer battery life. And that becomes old and 
expectations go up and we're looking for more disruption, right? We're looking from a, for a zero to one type of shift. But to me, it's progressive utility. And honestly, I think that as soon as you hit that mint button and you now have people buying your product that, just like you said, heavy lies the crown. And now you're signing up for this long road of being able to deliver, but consistently deliver. It's not a, I delivered and I'm done type of thing that equates to a rug. It's the, Hey, I'm in the trenches with you. I'm going to keep delivering. I'm going to keep searching. I'm going to keep looking for the next thing to add on and add on and add on. And furthermore, on that point, (laughs) one thing I don't like, I know this is not really the topic of the conversation, what we don't like, but I'm just going to put it out there. I just think, well, let me rephrase it. One thing that I think that would be more advantageous to Web3 and NFT projects in particular is instead of coming up, coming out with new projects, but not linking them together and just looking for more customers and, okay, so I've got this and I sold you know, this collection over here to these individuals and I've got another one coming out and this one has nothing to do with the other one. I'm just having fun with this just as I brainstorm and come up with new ideas. I think that hurts the market because it just increases the supply, but why not link them? If they're all coming from the same person, then link them in such a way to where everybody benefits from having the additive type of effect. But anyway. Friends with you did almost exactly what you said right before what you don't like um, of coming out into the space of frenzies, right? This week has gotten a lot of attention because friends with you is, is a, is a project that came out with a lot of the top NFT leaders, thought leaders, I guess, for lack of a better word, thought leaders that were on, um, that were that were pushing their their product, they were pushing their NFT project, and what they did was that this, <clears throat> excuse me, this week they came out and they said, hey, we're taking a break. We are not particularly going anywhere, but we're just. We're going to take a break after millions of dollars that they had already, you know, gotten from their initial drop in royalties off of it. And the immediate reaction of the NFT community was, oh, here we go. You are rugging. You are 100 percent rugging the space because we are expecting like we're expecting for you to do more. Right. You can't just come and have an NFT project. I think it was two. Ultimately, you can't just come and drop an initial project and then do another one. And then what? I mean, what else is there for us? What are we as holders going to be? you know, getting from this. Um, And the initial pushback, the very, very loud pushback was you are rugging. Effectively, if you're taking a break and saying that you don't know what else you're going to do on the heels of having heard that royalties now pretty much are going to zero on the heels of, you know, um, hearing that that uh, yeah, that that the royalties are not going to be the same that it was before. Um, and now you're saying that you're taking a break. Effectively, you might as well just say that you're rugging. And their backlash to that was, uh, or their reaction to that was, nobody said that I'm that we're rugging over here. And because of what you're saying, we're going to start blocking you and blocking you and blocking you and blocking you. And it even That's made helpful. it worse. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> 
exactly so, <laughs> for real so now instead of seeing it on your um on your twitter feed of like frenzies is doing this and frenzies is rugging now it's frenzies is rugging and they're blocking everybody and not letting us talk so we call the Streisand effect. There's this like famous case where she sued a pho- photographer for taking a picture of her house because she didn't want anybody to see her house. And by suing, everybody saw her house. Like exponentially more people saw her house. So it sounds like they need a new PR person over there. A lot of different one. A lot of different projects need a PR person. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about royalties because that's. I mean, sorry about um, blur tokens and about airdrops because um, this is also a, a really interesting uh, week for airdrops. Um, I want to get to the fact that potentially it's airdrop season, but something really, um, you know, an important conversation that I want to have is. And I want to take everybody's take on this is what do you guys think about the farming that is going on with Blur? So if you have used Blur at all, then you've then you know that um, they're currently on their season two of Airdrop, right? Their season one was fantastic. They did it in a three stage format. And of course, you saw a lot of farming for it in a lot of people ended up making, you know, tons and tons of money. Those that had farmed on season one are now starting to farm on season two. Those that had not, that missed out on season one of Blur are now interested in one to partake in season two, of course, as you would expect. But one of the interesting things that Blur has done is that they are saying, all right, we are going to multiply the rewards that you get. So we're going to multiply the money that you get on airdrops, depending on if you do X, Y, and Z. One of those is by um, setting with offers. Interesting thing about Blur, it doesn't work the same way that OpenSea does. So OpenSea, if you go into the marketplace right now and you set an offer on anything, it doesn't actually remove the weave out of your wallet, right? I can go and I can set a, um, an offer for one e- I mean, for one weave, and I get to keep my money. Um, and then it, it does it does confirm that you actually have it in your wallet, but it doesn't escrow it away. It doesn't actually take it away until somebody accepts my offer. Blur, on the other hand, escrows it. So Blur takes your one ETH offer and they make you deposit it into an escrow account. They make you it, it, it actually deducts it from your ETH um, account from your MetaMask. So it's not there. And your liquidity then is locked up. Your money there is locked up. So the danger in this has become that in order to multiply your blur rewards, um, one of the best ways for you to multiply it is by setting with uh, offers on projects. And the higher that your offers are, then the more rewards you get. So a lot of people are now farming for these rewards by like increasing the amount of, you know, offers that they make. And what we are now seeing is a lot of people regretting that, regretting it a lot because a minute or two that they walk away and suddenly now they own five doodles and there goes all of the money that they were not planning. They were using that liquidity to actually farm it. They were using that money to farm for all of these royalty fees, they didn't actually expect that someone would be taking all of their um, 
all of their offers. But, you know, the whales and the people who are actively farming for this are looking out for all of those weed offers. Yesterday, OSF and Mondo took advantage of this and they sold 71 board apes on blur for five. Um, what was it for $9.15 million? Yes. And the floor price didn't decrease like at all. It stayed exactly where it was. And part of that is because of, you know, how many offers are going on and any other time their argument wasn't, I mean, freaking brilliant right any other time had they done this immediately the floor would have crashed and everybody would have been in, in a ruckus about all right it, we're done with nfts but they took advantage of the small window to do that on the other hand though potentially you have a bunch of you know uh, farmers who are sitting there making all of these offers not really expecting to have these um offers accepted and ended up with it so uh, it's creating it's creating a lot of liquidity in the space. It's creating a lot of like positive airdrop, um, you know, air in the space. A lot of energy is what I'm saying. A lot of, of like positive energy in the space that there is money. Um, but when you start to peel back the onion, there's a lot more that is going on uh, with this. And Ash, obviously, you know what's going on. I want to hear like, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I'm certainly happy to defer to Ellie or NFT Fiend if they if they have thoughts, but um, of course I have. Um, look, I have very little sympathy for people who fuck around and find out. Like, I just you, you know I I don't know how else to say it. Like, I mean this is this is the game you play. You you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So if you didn't mean to buy five doodles, well, I got news for you, man. Welcome to doodles, fam. Like like <laughs> like I just don't have a lot of sympathy for that. There's a lot of smart money in this industry and they prey on the dumb money and you are you know it's it's that idea if you're if you're not paying for the product you are the product well if you are not the smart money there might be a chance you're the dumb money i'm the dumb money that's why i don't fuck around because i don't want to find out i don't need to um but i don't think it's look the other thing is i think it's i think it's a temporary thing because i think what it does is it it spurs on wash trading and a lot of this volume is um, phantom. And so I think it's a false metric. I think it's just people just trying to like, I mean, look, the people that were smart enough to get it on the, the first blur edge. I mean, God bless them. I mean, that's crazy, you know? And, and look, if you're, if you're selling 70 board apes, you're already like you, you've made it in life. Like you don't even, like if you just have that fact alone, you're, you're doing all right. So like, I don't know, man, I, I just, I, I am sympathetic on the one hand that people like this sometimes, you know what, you know what I describe this as sometimes being in NFTs in, in the past two years in particular, um, it feels like being in one of those machines that have the dollars flying around you and it's so chaotic and you know, the dollars are there, you just sort of, just I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. And you just <laughs> feels like you're just trying to grab them and like get as much as you can while you can. And like, it, it, it's that kind of chaos and you're, you're often spurred to do like maybe irrational things that you may not otherwise do. Um, and so I, I guess on one hand, I'm, I, I have a, a bit of sympathy because we all have that notion, but on the other hand, you just have to accept that if you got burned by doing this, I mean, that was just the consequences of playing the game. Um, and so I'm not, you know, the, the airdrop kudos to blur for like 
they're savage, like how they did OpenSea dirty. Like OpenSea is like on their knees, just like fucking like we submit, like we we uh you know like the fact that they were oh we're gonna you know we are going to enforce royalties, and then all of a sudden they're like ah guess what uh just kidding like we're gonna temporarily pause this, but there's no there's no temporary about this. I don't know if you can put this genie back in the bottle until the tech catches up and it's adopted industry wide. Like unless we get an EIP or an ERC that um, mandates it and it becomes widely accepted. Uh, you know, I think, I think the, the sort of farming and the, and the non royalties and the, and, and there's just, it's just a no, it's a new form of an old game. I think that's all. That's what I think. Um, have you seen the memes yet of open sea begging for mercy and blur on top Finish of them him. with a sword finish <laughs> I, I, I kid you not I, I haven't seen that but it's literally what i had in my mind it was the old mortal Kombat, like finish him you know <laughs> that's funny it is hilarious nft and any thoughts on all of this yeah short term yay long term oh <laughs> that's a good way of summarizing it Ellie, how about you? Are you going to fuck around and find out on this, or are you staying away from Blur? Sorry, you'll have to forgive her. She's on placing some wash trade bids right now. She'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> no, that's all right. Sorry, so I'm I started doing um, a little bit. I was having technical all right. difficulties. I was actually responding to a tweet, so don't hate me. <laughs> I was um, arguing with someone on Twitter, but you know what's new. Anyway, um, I'm with Ash on this one. <laughs> I had to. Wait, L. Who, who's knee, whose knees do we got to break? You got to tag me in the thread. I got to jump in again. No, you I just, you know, the AI stuff, but, you know, that's another rabbit hole. Um, just for you guys' knowledge, the AI registration that the copyright office backtracked on did not get canceled. They only canceled part of it, and the cancellation is only to issue a new certificate of registration. It's not actually canceled. Please stop the. Uh, BS. Anyway, that's why I'm arguing. <laughs> Give us the contents of that, actually, because that's a really interesting story. And uh, e even I only know about half of that. Tell me what happened. Um, as you guys recall from a few months back, there was a registration certificate in the Copyright Office where there was a graphic novel that was to be registered and the registration actually, this or the in the registration application, um, the artist actually disclosed that they, she used Midjourney to create the graphic novel. She actually received the registration and they got a lot of news. Um, and because of so many kind of attention, so much attention she got, the artist, um, I th the copyright office backtracked and decided to question the validity of the actual certificate of registration for that AI creation or using AI as a tool creation. Anyway, so fast forward to now. Um, a few weeks back, the Copyright Office pilot program had an issue and it thought it was canceled, so it showed up as canceled. It wasn't actually canceled. And then now fast-tracked it today, and they actually finally issued the letter saying that they believe that the compilation of the, the entirety of the graphic novel that used AI is a registrable um, copyright, but she needs to disclaim the individual characters in the graphic novel that were created with Midjourney because those are not registrable elements. So they are canceling the registration for purposes of reissuing a new certificate of registration that mentions the disclaimer of the AI created characters. However, the novel as the graphic novel itself remains registered as a copyright. 
that's all so someone saying that okay. they canceled the registration I'm like that's just procedural for issuing a new corrected certificate okay so now explain it to me in terms that i can actually understand um basically we still have no clarity as to what amount of human input is required in order for you to copyright something um when you use ai so the character that she created she used a mid journey but she's explained her whole process for creating this graphic novel but the ele the elements themselves so the actual characters themselves are not registrable and we apparently they're going to issue some guidance as to why that that was decision was made but for the part the, the time being all we know is that they did not consider those specific elements as having enough human input in order to qualify for copyright registration. But um, so again, we don't have enough, in order for you to get a copyright registration, you need to have human authorship. So you, there's a human factor that needs to be met. Um, and that human factor also has to have enough creativity. So it's not like you could actually just put Apple in the AI system and it spits out an Apple and then that's enough creativity for you to copyright. Um, because one, it's, it's kind of like the input generates the creativity element um, in a way. Uh, so that all that to say that right now we don't have any guidance, but the copyright office is going to issue some guidance in the next few weeks, apparently, as to how much human input is required in order for you to have a registration over the AI creations that you cre that you make. Um, and that's important because basically everything that we're seeing right now is like generative art. So you want to be able to protect it because in order for you to um, sue in court, you need to have a copyright registration. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge in this space, right? And not not just in like what we see in digital art, but just period and everything that's going on right now. AI is weaving itself into absolutely everything that we do. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some research on how um, big corporations are using AI, specifically like marketing companies, et cetera. And they were talking about how they are pushing more towards fractionalized employees. So basically 1099 contractor employees, fractionalized employment, um, you know, opportunities for people because AI was being revolutionary. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like it impacts everything. Ash, I see your hand up. What do you think? Yeah. Um, sorry. I'm just so used to, I don't want to interrupt. So I, I don't know if it's too informal <laughs> space to be raising hands or not but thanks for you're a guest me. speaker thanks. you can you can <laughs> pop right in uh I, thanks teach i just wanted to know if i could go to the bathroom i'll be no just kidding <laughs> um uh no i actually had a question for l um you know l did technically speaking and i'm and i'm asking i don't i don't know this wasn't it the case that they said that images are not copyrightable to, to be distinguished from the actual characters like and i guess my question is um if she turned around and hand drew those characters, like in a different form or fashion, it's not the characters that are not protectable, right? It was just the images that were used to created by the uh, journey. Is that, is that my understanding? Correct. I was just pulling up the letter and I will read it to you. Um, they actually have a description of the work and a summary of the administrative record. So um, they have, so everything combined is her, copyright registration that they, they met they have like pictures of what is not considered um copyright registration and i think it might be useful for you to actually see the pages um the text and, and the visual material but the combination of both is what is copyrightable so 
the characters themselves, so the images, yeah. So that that's what's not copyrightable. But I'm trying to see what exactly they mentioned any specific art that may be potentially copyrightable. But it seems to me like we will have to wait till the new registration certificate issues to know what the disclaimer would read like. Um, because I, I'm not finding it here. I'm just wondering if, you know, because... <laughs> Welcome, welcome to me and Ellie's every day. That's what we do every day. We go back where we go. Okay, let's let's go down this rabbit hole. But I'm wondering if she, if Chris, the artist, tur turned around and hand drew that same um, character and submitted that be because I th I would think that her character is more important than any one given image. So I'd be curious, you know, I mean, rhetorically or sort of theoretically speaking, if she turned around, hand drew that same character, submitted it for copyright, you know, first the market rushed, got it in there, if if that would be protectable. If and, and I guess what I'm really asking is, is the copyright office have a problem with the images as a whole because they were AI assisted, or are they trying to say like don't don't ever try to copyright this in any form or fashion because it the genesis of it was from AI. Therefore, even if it's a derivative work, it, it, it has no original protection, you know, so I don't know. But then they, we get the human authorship thing in there after the fact. So it's really curious. And, and then could she block anybody else from using that character? I, I know this is very esoteric for most people in the audience, but this is what Ellie and I do. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I lost everybody still sleep and wake up, wake up. Let's go get back here. Uh, we do this all the time. <laughs> we do this all the time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> to to be right, a fly uh, on right, that, that water. Let's, let's go back I'm to sure everyone talking shit about something else. It will be great material for yeah, you to go to sleep, yeah, yeah, yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one point, everyone's we so well. Well. Sorry for crashing your uh, space yeah, for belt. Real. At one point, I told Ash we should do this. This is it, Ash. This is it. Like, enjoy your one and done because you're not you're not coming out. I'm just I'm kidding. I'm squeezing all the juice <laughs> from this lemon. We I should can. make a podcast and it will be used as sleeping material. But at least we did it. Dude. Because we fight all the time about these definitions. Not fight, we debate. Wait, do, can we all appreciate that there was like an entirely different subject and question that was asked and Ellie <laughs> answered with, sorry, I'm fighting with somebody about this thing over here. And then we're like, oh, let's go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, that's my ADHD kid, yeah. but I was fighting with someone. So yeah. <laughs> that is very correct. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right, guys, we're going to start wrapping up. Ellie, is there anything that I haven't asked you about today that you want to go over? Like, talk to us about, you know, in the IP world, what's the biggest blind spot? What should we pay, be, what, what are the headline stories that we should be paying attention to or whatever else you want to share? In terms of use for anything you buy, if you actually care to keep it, if you're flipping, you know, don't, don't bother. But if you are keeping something, make sure you read those terms of use. Also, Lensa gets sued. There's a class action lawsuit against Lensa for using biometric data, which I haven't finished the post for. But yes, they got sued. Class action. Wait, tell me more about that. <laughs> uh, Lensa AI, the um, app that everyone was using a few months back, they are being sued in the state of California by some Illinois residents because the Illinois has a very restricted statute for using biometrical data. Um, and they are suing over the use of their facial geometry um, and the privacy policy not complying with the statute. So, yeah, class action lawsuit. All right. This is the one that everybody was posting cute little selfies about, right? Yes, that one. 
Oh, that's the one I remember. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can absolutely see that that uh, that that would happen. All right, cool. So where are we? Like, what um, what's what stage is this on? Right they now? just filed like uh, a few days ago, so very very early stages. Not sure where it will go yet, but yeah, that's where we are. We have what three or four now cases of over AI. Ash, I think it was There's like three, yeah. three or four. Yeah. I think this makes number four. Lens is number four now, I think. I think so, too, yeah. It should be four. That's such an interesting thing. Such an interesting thing to see where all of this leads. Ash, how about you? I'll ask you the same question. Anything that we haven't asked about or that you feel, you know, what are you looking at right now? Or what should we pay, be paying attention to? I just want to challenge anybody in the audience to a donut eating contest. If you think you can bring it, bring some bring some heat. I'm, I'm here for it. All right. I hear Ellie's a former donut eating champion, too, so... I'm looking forward to this. Um, no, I mean, look, Ellie's on top of it. Um, she, you know, dude, her ability to break IP news is incredible. So I, I, she's my bellwether for everything. Um, no, no, I, I, I mean, look, I, I, I agree. That I think there's this. What's in what's in our world right now? We're consuming it is the AI situation. We haven't we haven't even um, recapped or sort of, and I'm, we're not going to do it now. But like the implications for Meta Birkins, which are actually still completely un unclear despite what you may be hearing the meta birkins case and then we have a bunch of um in our world we have the, we have some really crazy court cases over what we call transformative use there's like a jack daniels dog toy case going on just pretty cool and a lot of this stuff has effect on the nft and art world in general so um now i'm i'm i'm, I'm just i'm just a surfer on the wave man I, i'm i'm here for it all I love it. And I am so grateful to you, too, for joining us today. And this isn't the first time that, you know, I would love to invite you guys on because seriously, you guys are the goats and you have such good information that we all need to be learning about. You know, sometimes we forget that this isn't just like a fun space. You know what I mean? This isn't a fun space to just fuck around and find out and see what's on the other side of that and make some quick cash. There's so many like revolutionary things and and important things that come out of this and we forget to take a look at those um take a look at those stories that are happening right now and so it it, it may be things that like if you do create a podcast people will fall asleep to but it, at least before they fall asleep they would actually be paying attention to it because it's important information so i do want to throw that out there <laughs> But you, you belt, can I give uh -huh. you your flowers though? Because in all honesty, yes. I find your your spaces to be like the the funnest one I find myself in because it's so laid back and no pressure. And I'm so over the I was about to use a disparaging. I'm just I'm just over the flex that even even lawyers can get into and everything like. And there's just like a whole rush to like flex. I I really appreciate the way you run your spaces. I love being here. I'd be here anytime. You know, and you know, I just shouts out to the other lawyers. I know a couple other lawyers pulled up, and I, I was hoping to pull them. I know Omri was here, and I see Bambi down there, and a couple other people. Um, it's always cool to be in the space, and I enjoy it because we actually get to show a little personality and come out and hang. So thanks, thanks for bringing us through. I couldn't do it without you guys. Honestly, it's so. Um... It means the world that you get up here and that you feel comfortable because, you know, you're you're not just a lawyer. First of all, you're a friend of the show and you're welcome to pull up anytime. And second, you know, we want to get to know you for your entire for for everything. And it just happens to be that you're a badass lawyer in the space. 
with some really good alpha that we need to know about. And so, you know, this is what we're here for, right? If not for, if not for this kind of information, truly, what the hell are we here for? So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today and any other time. You know that you're absolutely welcome. NFT fan, what didn't I ask you about that you want to share? Or any any yes. final thoughts on um, this? I I feel a certain kind of way that you didn't ask me about my special thing that nobody knows about. I've been <laughs> holding on to this for quite some time. Actually, where to actually experience this thing, but it just kind of popped on the. Okay, you're gonna hate me, but but you were rugging oh, there for a minute, okay. so okay, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna need you to repeat that. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was like intentionally done since they know what I'm about to say. But um, I went on this trip. Very short is I ended up later that night seeing thirty UFOs. So. Okay, guys, is it? No, he's rugging a little bit. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've tried it uh, twice, so it's like I don't think that I'm supposed to get the word out. You know, we've got to save that for another day, another space. He he caught thirty UFOs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you twenty nine were shot down, and we can't recover them. So yeah, yeah, I've seen thirty UFOs in one night. I'm relieved. I thought you were going to come in here and tell me you ate nine Boston cream donuts in a minute and a half and just ruin my whole shit. Like, no, you know, no, no, I, no. I, I can... You've got the crown for that one. I'm the UFO guy, though. Uh, I can dig. I can dig. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, but on, on the real, though, look up, uh, type in Sedona, S-E-D-O-N-A. And you will see that this thing is legit. It's crazy. People don't know, but you can actually go out there and there's tours. They give you these military-grade binoculars. You look up in the sky. Like, they were telling me that the binoculars that I was using, that they were around, like, $4,000, $5,000. But Google it. It was crazy. It's like, definitely a life-altering moment. Like, looking up in the, in the sky and seeing all these different shapes up there, like triangles, some circles, and just darting, making 90-degree angle turns. Just crazy. Wait, you rugged one last time. It's Sedona what? Because now, now you got me. You got me spurred here. Yeah, Sedona, Arizona, UFOs. If you put that in, you'll see. Tours. Oh, 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 so the city? Yeah, yeah, the state. Okay, I thought there was like Sedona UFO Tours dot com or something. I don't know, but all right, cool. I got you. It's not that obvious, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> they put you through the gift shop at the end, but no, believe me, I'm, I'm, almost. I'm, 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 almost. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to it. You know, I'm hundred percent. All right. That's actually a very interesting fact. Uh, Truly, I didn't know that one. (laughs) An interesting thing about you. Uh All right. Well, well, there you go, guys. If you didn't know, now you know. We do the show every single Wednesday, normally at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're actually going to be changing that, make it a little bit easier for everybody's schedules. We're going to be doing it every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, since the Web3 space seems to think that Eastern Standard Time is like the standard time of the space. So 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single week. 
we're going to have and continue to have badass conversations about everything that's going on in Web3 and NFTs. You could have been absolutely anywhere else and you were here today. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you on the flip side. If you are not following any of the speakers, do so. Do yourself a favor and do so. Fantastic. I hope you learned something. I definitely did. Thank you for joining us. And if you didn't know, now you know. See you guys. It's not the same.